It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey, guys, and welcome to the Week 9 edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Tribby, and I've got Chris Wecht here by my side to help us break down every angle of the Week 9 XFL slate. As our YouTube viewers have likely noticed, we have a guest with us today, but this isn't just any guest. Neil Orfield is a contributor at Stochastic. He hosts one of my favorite podcasts in the DFS space, High Stakes, which you can find on Spotify. And he's a highly respected professional DFS player with multiple six-figure wins and a millionaire maker under his belt. He's also one of the winningest DFS players in the history of spring football. Simply put, Neil is really good at DFS. Neil, thanks so much for joining the show today. How are you doing? And how has your XFL DFS season gone so far? Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Really excited to talk some XFL. I don't really get the opportunity to talk much XFL over at Stochastic, so excited to be here. Of course, um, I, I also I like the setup here. I feel like we're uh, we we look like we are like what what are the the doll things? Where like there's one doll inside of the other. I feel like I'm way bigger than Chris. <laughs> Chris is way bigger than Jake. It's kind of a, a fun fun to see that on the screen right away. Um, no, I'm, I'm 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 excited to talk XFL. XFL not actually going that great for me so far. I have one one showdown where I finished in second place for 2,500, which brings me like close to even for the year but i've had some brutal xfl weeks to be honest some, some of the main sites it's like i put in 800 bucks i get back 50 it's been like worse than i see in other sports but i also i, I feel like i uh, in showdown i've been so close so many times and then i just it's always some chalk player at the end crushes me so hasn't ended up being a great uh, xfl season for me so far but i'm gonna turn around this week i'm confident we're gonna go through the through the picks and i'm gonna figure out exactly who to play and, and crush it yeah, I know I've seen you near the top of a lot of those showdown contests where all my lineups are, are near last place. So, uh, Chris, how are, how are you doing this week? How did uh, how did week eight go? I'm doing good. Uh, week eight was okay. The four-game slate was nothing special. I had, I had one or two lineups that looked okay, I think finished in the top 100 or so on the, on the main tournament, uh, but didn't quite have enough. The Orlando game didn't go quite as intended. Uh, for many reasons, we lost our our awesome Orlando to win the whole XFL championship. What, 18, <laughs> what was it? Eighteen thousand. Uh, yeah, hundred yeah. to win eighteen k. They couldn't just go for three. Yeah, Chris, um, I got a question. I, I know that Jake is a dirty, disgusting Houston Roughnecks fan. Who, do, you, do you have a team? Do you have an allegiance, Chris? Um, I never really picked a team at the start, but I'd probably have to go with the Sea Dragons if I if I was. Picking I was thinking one. about the Sea Dragons. Yeah, it's yeah. a good one. Yeah, I got my girlfriend a Sea Dragon sweatshirt. She's a big time Ben DiNucci enjoyer. So, okay. Um, <laughs> nice. But uh, my, you know, my week eight was okay. I got, I went way overboard on Devin Darrington exposure, which was yeah. uh, not, not a great, not a great move. Um, I probably could have gotten away with 25 or 30%. I ended up closer to like 45. Yeah. I mean, he, he hit like the, the stone floor outcome. I think he had like less than a yard per attempt. Uh, yeah. Just, just 
just did we'll, not fall. We'll his talk way. about that backfield a little more later. But one of my favorite stats I pulled this week was that that was the worst backfield usage of any team in any game this full season. <laughs> so wow. just uh, yeah, just a pretty bad run out there. But I think people want to hear about these upcoming games. Starting off the slate, we've got the Vegas Vipers at the Houston Roughnecks. This kickoff is 12.30 p.m. on Saturday. The total here is 43.5. Houston is favored by 6.5. Chris, I'll throw it to you first. Are there any bets you like in this game? I'm struggling with this one a little bit because I do like when I was projecting this game, I do think Houston is being a little bit overrated given their recent play. I mean, we've just not seen great play from either quarterback McDonald or Silvers. Um, So I'm debating. I do. I already bet the under on the game. I'm debating if I want to bet Houston. I mean, Vegas plus uh, six and a half. I think it should be more like four and a half, four range plus four, four and a half. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm leaning with this one. Yeah, I was, I'm kind of in the same boat. Didn't take the under, but I did take Vegas plus six and a half. I mean, this is a team that almost beat St. Louis last week. Obviously St. Louis was without McCarron, uh, but they've, you know, they've looked pretty solid with McClendon at, at quarterback and Houston's been, been struggling. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think this probably should be priced closer to four. Uh, Neil, do you have any takes here? I'm with you. Take take the points on Vegas. I think that they have a, a strong offense. Really hard to make what what to make of Jalen McClendon right now. He's just been uh, he wasn't as good last game as he was two weeks ago. Um, but I, I still think I'm I'm taking the points there uh, for Vegas. I'm, I'm with you there. Sweet. All right, injuries. We got a decent bit to get through for this game. Martavis Bryant is listed as probable with a neck issue, but he did practice in full on Thursday, so he probably goes. Jeff Bedette and Matthew Sexton were limited all week in practice with thigh injuries. I lean towards both guys playing. I believe that's what our projections have right now, but obviously a spot to monitor. Uh, Rod Smith is dealing with an illness, but he practiced full on Thursday and is listed as probable he should go. Uh, on the Houston side of things, Dejon Lee is ruled out. The team did sign Jeremy Cox to be their RB3. Um, not sure if he'll be active. If he's not, that's some extra juice for Bryson Aline, uh, mostly in showdown. Probably can't get there on the four-game slate. And then Michael Bandy was a late addition to the injury report after a limited Thursday practice due to a hip issue. Um, but he's listed as probable, so I don't think there's much to worry about there. Um, kicking things off on the Vegas side, I've been fairly impressed with Jalen McClendon so far. He's to me, he's like 2019 Cam Newton of the XFL. Like he's not, you know, a great passer, but he gets it done. And he's like, definitely has some juice as a runner. Um, You know, these Vegas quarterbacks we've seen this season um, have averaged 24.6 DraftKings fantasy points per game in their five full games this season. So that's Luis Perez, Hundley, and now McClendon. McClendon has games of 26 and 17 DraftKings points. He's still not terribly expensive at 9,400. Uh, Neil, I'll throw it over to you as our as our guest of honor first. Uh, what are your thoughts on McClendon and, yeah, broader view of this Vegas passing attack? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on McClendon. So I, I said earlier that I think he's been kind of off and on a little bit, but that's uh, that's from a, from a real-life perspective. Part of the reason that I like taking the under maybe or uh, – would be one reason to take the under there, but from a DFS perspective, I mean, he rushed 13 times for 62 yards last week. Uh, when you're adding that on the ground, this has been an offense that honestly I've, I've had a tough time getting right. Cause I always feel like you look at the receivers. I'm like, there are so many receivers here that I like week to week. Yeah. There's like, I kind of want to play, I kind of want to take shot on low owned 
Geronimo Allison or Martavis Bryant. Of course, when Jeff Bidette is active, you love Jeff Bidette. So it's it's always a, a really struggle, uh, a big struggle for me to figure out what to do exactly with this offense because they just have so many different receivers. And I'm like, kind of want to take, take a shot here, take a shot there. Uh, and then for a while, I was like, but do I really want to play any of these quarterbacks? Now, I think that with McClendon more solidified as a quarterback, I think that I am going to be going to some stacks of Vegas, particularly if, if Jeff Bidette is in there. I'm going to really like McClendon with Bidette. But uh, if Bidette is out, I'm going to go back to these former NFL receivers, uh, you know, stack Bidette with uh, with a Martavis Bryant. Sorry, uh, stack McClendon with a Martavis Bryant, Geronimo Allison. Of course, you can consider like a Matthew Sexton. But um, yeah, I, I do like McClendon quite a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think if Bidette is out, I mean, last week we saw Martavis Bryant 0.3% owned in the main contest, Geronimo Allison 2%. Uh, both of those guys were, were full-time players last week. So with Bidette out, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Chris, uh, how do you want to play this this Vegas passing attack? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything Neil said. Um, I think I do like Sexton a bit more if Bidette is out. We've we've kind of seen this twice now when one of their main receivers is out that Sexton just seems to step into that role and get a decent amount of work. Plus, he's definitely the cheapest at 3,900. So he, it's hard for him to like really kill you if, if the points do go somewhere else. Um, I was pretty high on Sweeting last week and that totally did not work out. I just don't know if Sweeting has the upside of any of these other guys. It doesn't seem like he can quite unlock it, at least recently. Um, so, yeah, it would be Sexton, Allison are probably my two favorites if Bidette is out. And if Bidette is in, I think I think Bidette kind of does nerf most of the other receivers' value. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Sweeting is is tough to figure out. I feel like he has you know the talent necessary to to mm-hmm. get a good amount of run in the XFL, mm-hmm. but only a 35 percent route share last week. Right. Uh, third and five play that could have ended the game pass went right through his hands. I mean, just a brutal drop. Um, I don't really think the coaches like him nearly as much as they like a guy like Sexton. Um, so he's probably. I mean, he's definitely off the board if Bedet is active, and I, I don't even think I could go there if if Bedet sits. Um, so that's tough. Uh, running back here, we saw John Lovett last week was dealing with an illness, and that led to more run for I think Brian Burt is his name. Um, Lovett's you know expected to play, I believe, is totally healthy. So I think we're going to be back to that. You know, Burt might get a little bit of run, but it's going to be back to a pretty close to even split between Lovett and Rod Smith. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Any preference there between those running backs, and do you you know are you going to get there on the four game slate? Probably not, but I don't think you definitely don't want to. I think rule them. I think you could take your shots. They seem to get enough work in the passing game. Really, both of them, Love it and Rod Smith. Uh, I think they're both like north of thirty percent of the routes, which is pretty high for the for running backs in the XFL. Um, I would probably lean uh, Love it just because I think he has a little bit more juice than Rod Smith. But I, I think both are worth taking dart throws on if you're playing enough lineups. Uh, yeah, Neil, any, any thoughts here? It's really tough. I mean, neither of them are running backs that I really want to get to a ton of. I agree. You can play in, in small part, some love it, some Rod Smith. If, if you are 150 maxing, I would probably have them in my player pool. I'm not going to be 150 maxing. I don't imagine that I do get to either of them. We did see, I mean, Rod Smith, 13 rush attempts last week, uh, was, you know, fourth best in the entire XFL. Uh, it's how it's how low the volume is for a lot of these running backs. So certainly playable. But then I do think John Lovett coming back probably eats into it more than Brian Burt. Although Brian Burt, I guess, 10 rushing attempts. So I don't know. It's it's a tough spot for me. It's not not a not a spot I think that I'm likely going to be attacking. But yeah, I think, you know, in a 150 set, I would probably have some shares of probably both of them, to be honest. 
Yeah, I don't think I'm going to make enough lineups where I'll I'll end up on either guy. You know, probably only about 30 teams for me in the in the main contest. So I, I probably won't be playing either guy. But I mean, I could I could definitely see an argument for having a few shares of a guy like Rod Smith, especially if you think, um, you know, Vegas comes out a little hot here and you know manages to actually put some points on the board against Houston and play from play from ahead. Uh, I think Rod Smith makes some sense there. And I, I guess I don't hate, you know, if you're, if you're stacking up the Houston side of things, I don't hate love it as a run back, but I think you're probably better off with these Vegas receivers. Um, and, you know, neither of them project as a very strong value and, you know, industry wide or in our stuff. Uh, moving on to the Houston side of things. I think, you know, their passing attack is really interesting this week. Uh, everyone is kind of done with Brandon Silvers, but at the same time, I mean, you know, from what we can tell, he's, he's still the starter. He's still going to get most of the run. Um, you know, at quarterback, obviously Cole McDonald will come in for some short yardage and goal line stuff. Um, but I kind of have a hard time if we assume Brandon Silvers is eight ish percent owned. I mean, he's only what 8,900. Um, I have a hard time not liking him at least a little bit, 8,700 actually. I have a hard time not liking him at least a little bit in tournaments. Um, Neil, I'll toss it over to you. Uh, thoughts on Silvers here. Yeah, I'm with you. When Silvers is coming in low, and, and I just talked about how you know every receiver on how I want to play so many receivers on Vegas. Well, the same thing is kind of true with Houston, which then also leads me to think maybe I should be playing some Silvers. I think I tend to end up over the field on Silvers, and uh, doesn't doesn't always work out. But I, I think that he you know throws with enough volume, has talented enough receivers that if he's going to be low owned, which I suspect he will be. Yeah, what's the price tag on? We've got Silvers at 8,700. That's Price tag, probably not a lot of people are going to pay. He you know, hasn't done it all that often this year. So I do think that Silvers is an interesting play. I also think we don't really know what Cole McDonald's role is going to be. I mean, he, he took on a big role early on. He was out last week. He also kind of showed that he wasn't maybe as good as we had hoped he would be. Um, so I yeah. kind of wonder if he maybe lost some of his role a little bit. I don't think that's something we can count on. He probably still maintains that Russian role, but there's at least some chance that Silvers has, you know, more, uh, more, a more solidified role here just because Cole McDonald hasn't, didn't really impress the way we thought he might. So I do like Silvers as a play. Yeah. And I mean, like if you rewind early on in the season, we've seen not quite like ceiling games from Silvers, but definitely solid fantasy performances that can win you tournaments. I mean, multiple games over 20 DraftKings points. I think weeks one through four, he averaged about 20 DK points per game. Um, Chris, I know that you're not a very big Brandon Silvers fan. How are you going to play this this week? Yeah, since uh, since week five, Silvers is at five yards per attempt. That, I think, is the worst in the XFL. it's it's not pretty. He's not playing well. McDonald d- does seem like he might be losing some of his initial role from it earlier in the season, but he still does is involved, particularly on those um, conversion points, which are you know yeah. two three points at a time can can add up. I think I would rather find the extra seven hundred dollars to get to McClendon or, and I don't. Do you think Lewis Perez comes in on lower owned than? Uh, Silvers. Yeah, yeah. I think. Then I'd, I think, I think so. I'd rather just play Perez for a hundred dollars cheaper. Man, we, yeah. We've I don't... at least seen. We. I just don't think Silvers has a ceiling. He that at least compared to some of these other XFL QBs. I mean, is there yeah. really that much difference from Perez and Silvers? Other than we think the Houston offense is better. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like these Houston receivers are they're easier to get a read on. They're easier to stack. Right. Um, I think i prefer this game overall to that that arlington game um yeah i mean silver that's the thing silvers might suck like he's uh, among among <laughs> quarterbacks probably does at suck. Least, yeah among quarterbacks with at least 100 passing attempts 
his PFF passing grade is only better than Kyle Sloter. So like just really not great at the same time though. I mean, I do think it's like worth noting that he is a lot easier to stack. I mean, getting into these receivers, obviously Deontay Burnett and Justin Smith, we know that these guys are going to get every snap on the outside. Burnett's priced up and, and probably won't catch a ton of ownership. Justin Smith, I believe is right around 4,500. Um, I think he'll be, you know, maybe 10 to 15%, but probably not super popular. And then the slot is like really interesting. I'm feeling pretty neutral about Travell Harris. Uh, but the guy I'm really excited about is Michael Bandy. I mean, Michael Bandy has been with the team for two weeks, 66% route share last week. And I believe led the team in target share as well. Um, he's got a ton of juice. I mean, this is a guy who started multiple games for the chargers last season. Um, I, you know, I think Michael Bandy could very easily emerge at the very least as the team's leading slot receiver and, and maybe, you know, be right there with Deontay Burnett as the leading receiver. Um, Chris, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on these Houston wide receivers? Cause that's kind of what convinces me on silvers more than his actual ability. Yeah. I, he definitely does have attractive stacking options, but I think I'm leaning just play. Like I do like playing bandy as a one-off or or burnett as a guy i really like this week uh, i don't think that a lot of the expensive wide receivers look super awesome and i don't think a lot of people will play burnett and his his target share and whatnot has been really good since the kirkland inj- injury um those are the two that i would focus on harris is always viable but he's a little expensive this week yeah uh cedric bird just seems like the one guy you really can't play uh if people chase his previous workloads and uh, which and he's been dropping he was down to what 50 percent this past week 66 percent on the routes yeah. but a six percent target right. share i mean right. yeah i i actually wrote him up in quick hits and basically just said i despise cedric bird as a play <laughs> he has no touchdown equity one red zone target all season his average depth of target is just 5.4 so he needs a ton of volume to win you a tournament and he's losing his job to Michael Bandy. The one thing with Cedric Bird, though, is like he projects pretty okay on some of the other sites. And I'm wondering, like, is he going to be 15 or 20%? Because that just makes, like, even if the contest fill, that pretty much makes it rake free, at least to me. I'm not playing him. Uh, Neil, I'm very curious on your thoughts here. Uh, Michael Bandy, Cedric Bird, and some of these other Houston guys. Yeah, so I'm with you on Cedric Bird. I think Cedric Bird is probably if he's if he's going to be 20 plus percent owned, probably a play that I'm just going to completely avoid. Uh, I do like Michael Bandy quite. I actually played Michael Bandy quite a bit last week. I was trying to get ahead of the curve. Almost yeah. worked out. Like he, he, you know, had a little bit of volume, but didn't didn't quite get there. But he's still 3600, and you you have to think like he is probably you know one one of the most talented receivers in the league. You have to think that they're going to be working him in more and more into the offense. I would imagine he's out there uh, even more, even more working into the Cedric Bird. Uh, timeshare there so i like my, michael bandy quite a bit with you there um deontay burnett i agree he's the stud deontay burnett probably the first receiver that i get to here i don't think that I, I heard you say uh the name justin smith there justin smith uh was, was on the field for nearly every snap running almost every route last week it's, do, do you guys are, are you not interested in justin smith here no oh i'm i'm pretty much always interested in justin smith okay. I, I just all tossed right, him right. out as like a solid low owned option okay. who's gonna gonna run all the routes i mean the thing is like it's you could certainly argue against him just because Silvers misses so many throws. Yeah. Um, but if Silvers can, you know, connect, like he's he's in a pretty good spot. So especially if this game ends up shooting out, which I mean, you look at totals, it looks to be the second most likely game to shoot out. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely like Justin Smith. I'll work him in, but you know, Bandy's Bandy's certainly my favorite. And the other thing with Bird too is like I just don't think he's particularly good. Like Bandy act, like has some actual talent. I think Travel Harris might be pretty decent, but Bird, I'm just I, you know, he's probably a pretty average XFL slot receiver. I, I don't see a ton of juice there. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we're on the same page. We like a lot of these receivers. I'm a big fan of, yeah. Deont- uh, Deontay Burnett, likely low owned at 9,700. Uh, Michael Bandy, just maybe he gets a little more ownership just because people saw he actually got targets last week and he's 3,600. So I would guess that he actually gets a little bit more ownership. And then Justin Smith, I think, you know, he's out there. He still hasn't done it. These are the kind of players that I love targeting where it's just like, okay, he was, everybody loved him one week and now he's failed a few weeks uh, in a row, but he's down to 4,600, probably not getting ownership now. And he's still running every route. So I actually like Justin Smith quite a bit. He might be like when you factor in what I would expect ownership to be. Uh, my my second favorite after Deontay Burnett and then Michael Bandy. I love as a play. Michael Bandy, just a phenomenal value. I, I worry that the ownership will get uh, more than we expect just because people know the name. We saw the targets last week. Uh, and then Truel Harris, I think, is was, again, another player that was out on the field running routes uh, a pr- pretty significant share last week. So I do like Travell Harris as well. And then Cedric Bird, I think, is largely a fade for me at 6,600 with a decreasing uh, share of the wide receiver workload here. Yeah, before we move on to running back, I mean, what do you guys think Bandy's ownership will be? Because when I was working on him earlier in the week when I was writing him up, I, I kind of figured, you know, hopefully around 10 or 12%. Now, I mean, I'm I'm wondering if he's going to catch a little more steam and maybe get pushed closer to 20, which I, you know, I think probably makes sense. He's a really strong play this week. Uh, Yeah. Neil. I'm with you. So I, I think that he should be 25, 30%. My guess is that he's still under 20%. So I still really like him as a play, but my guess would be that he actually does push closer to 20% just because again, people know the name. He got the targets and he's 3,600. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. Chris, any, any thoughts there? That sounds about right. There's not a lot of, super cheap options in that price range that are like way stand out above above him. So yeah, I, I would be surprised if he is sub 15%. I think he's in that 15, 20% range. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Especially like if you're playing the two, 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 I'd imagine, I mean, he might push for 40 or 45, something like that. He, yeah. He's going to be super popular. Um, running back here. I, you know, it's, it's hard to really like either of these guys. Like I said, Dejon Lee, ruled out this week. So pretty much just expected to be a split between Bryson Aline and Max Borgie. Um, I, I have a hard time having a take here. I mean, I, I could, I could see an argument for getting behind Borgie just on the thought that he's going to be, you know, two, three, 4%. I mean, um, people would much rather play for pay for even like Davion Smith, obviously Jaquez Patrick, and then, or just pay up for Abram Smith or Brian Hill. So, I mean, we've seen this, week after week. I mean, Borgie's just going super low owned and he gets most of the goal line carries in an offense that's certainly capable of scoring a lot of points. So that's kind of the bull case there. Um, the problem though, is that, you know, he just, just hasn't happened. It's, it's really, he's not putting it together. There's you know 55% of snaps and not quite a strong enough workload to really match a lot of these other running backs. Chris, I'll start with you. Do you have any interest in Borgie on the four game slate or even Aline? I mean, Aline's only 4,200. Yeah. Borgie, it feels like we're just like begging DraftKings to bring his price down farther. It just yeah. doesn't seem to want to come down. He's always like the great like late swap option. Obviously not this week with them being the first game. So it's going to be hard for me to want to get to him really. He does get, uh, since week six, he's got eight red zone carries and nobody else in the team has more than one. Uh, so like he does get all the red zone work. If you do think the offense can bounce back, against Vegas who has been bad on defense. I mean, he should be a big better play. He's just he's a little too expensive to make a priority for me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with you there, Neil. Uh thoughts on Borgie and even Bryson Aline here? 
yeah, far far from a priority. Definitely with you there. I do think that he is play. I think he's an interesting GPP play just because you know people aren't going to want to play him at that price tag. And he clearly, you know, it feels to me like early in the season, every week I would fade Max Borgie and then they would throw it into the end zone. There would be a PI call, and then he's on the one yard <laughs> line and he's just rushing in for a touchdown after touchdown. Uh, he's one of those guys who has had really big games, and now with the ownership has come down a bit and nobody's playing him. Maybe partially because Eileen has taken on a bigger role there, um, but. I think Borgie is, he's going to be the goal line back. So you have to at least consider him as somebody on a team that's likely to put up a lot of points. Uh, if those points happen to come, you know, in the red zone within the five yard line, it's probably going to be Borgie. So I do have some interest if he's going to be low owned, which I imagine he will be um, still not, as you said, not a, not a high priority because he just doesn't have quite the volume that we're looking for. Um, but there aren't that many running backs that I, that I really love this week, to be honest. So I do think that Borgie is certainly an interesting play uh, as a contrarian play. So, um, yes, I like some Borgie. Aline, I guess is he's forty two hundred. Uh, man, it's some weeks it looks like Aline has taken off, and maybe he's going to become yeah. the, the guy here. Um, but then other times he just you know kind of falls flat. So I, I don't know what to make of Aline at forty two hundred. I'd probably have some shares if I'm playing like forty plus lineups. Probably would make it into my first my first forty lineups. But after that, I'm probably trying to sprinkle them and get up to you know if I were playing a one fifty set, I'd probably get to like five percent Aline because. One of these weeks, you'd think that one of these value running backs is going to put up a score that you want. We haven't seen it all that often. Um, I guess aside from that Devin Darrington week where he put up two touchdowns, but yeah, uh, you, usually for, at running back has been the guys that you kind of expect it to be, or at least the, the more expensive guys. I think one of these weeks we're gonna we're gonna see that uh, switch, and I think it could be this week with Elliot. So I do like him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he's tough because I mean, like every time he gets the ball, it's like, wow, that's a really explosive player. Like definitely a guy with some juice, but um, yeah, the usage just isn't great. And you know, Borgie's kind of dominating the the red zone work. Final final note here before we move on to the next game, uh, I'd expect Houston's offense to be pretty efficient in this contest. I mean, the Vegas defense is a disaster. Pretty easily the second worst defense in the league by almost every metric um, ahead of only Orlando. So I'd expect a pretty efficient performance from Houston, and maybe that lends itself to you know some some big chunk plays from guys like Borgie and Aline. Um, although I, I do think I prefer the passing game, obviously, overall, um, you know, with our, my favorite play, I think everyone's favorite play here being Bandy. Um, all right, moving on to our second game on Saturday. This is a 7 p.m. kickoff. It's the Orlando Guardians at the San Antonio Brahmas. The total here is 39 and a half. San Antonio's favored by two. Uh, Neil, as our resident Brahmas fan, I'll throw it over to you. Should San Antonio be favored in this game? Because I, I think I know where me and Chris fall on this. Absolutely, they should be. Brahma-rama, <laughs> baby. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, take, I'm taking the Brahmas all day. I think the Brahmas have probably the best defense in the league. I think that they're an underrated yeah. defense. I think that we're, uh, they're, they've been coming into their own. I think I honestly think Jordan Williams is a star. I don't know if he could convert to the NFL because I don't know that he has the size to play there or the speed to play like defensive back. But I think for the XFL, Jordan Williams is just incredible. Uh, I really like Beasley there. I actually think that they are a strong defense. Um, it's a little bit tough with uh, with Dormady coming on to, to really have high hopes here. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with my Brahmas. I do think that the defense is strong enough. Uh, no Cody Latimer helps a little bit. So it's uh, honestly, it's it's close here. <laughs> it's hard for me to, to give. A, I don't have a strong record. I'm not saying like jam uh, jam the Brahmas here, but I think I think this should be favored slightly. I think this is about right. Yeah, so I mean, the Brahmas are allowing the fewest points per game, only 16.4, uh, better than Arlington, better than St. Louis. Uh, very strong defense. I, I'm with you, Neil. At the same time, though, I mean, I, I still feel like Orlando's being disrespected in the betting markets. Uh, we've seen these sports books just be sl so slow to adjust to quarterback changes and improvements in QB play in general. 
Um, Quentin Dormady really adds some juice to this offense. Obviously, though, defense is the worst in the league. Um, at the same time, though, I I have I think Orlando should be favored here. I think the spread should probably be closer to Orlando minus two, minus three. Um, so I definitely like Orlando and the points. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they break my heart again, just like last week, given Terrell Buckley is their head coach and doesn't seem to have any idea what's going on. Chris, uh, what are your thoughts here? Uh, do you like Orlando? Yeah, I'm on the Orlando side as well. I Yeah, Dormady, I mean, he's not the most accurate QB in the world, but he just is much better than every other option they've had. Co- head coaching and coaching decisions seem to be their biggest issue along with their defense being subpar. But I, I think if you give me the points, I, I like Orlando here. Yep. Uh, moving on to injuries. This is a very clean game outside of one piece of big news. Cody Latimer has been ruled out. So Jalen Smith is listed as his direct backup, but we are sort of expecting Latimer's role to be divided between Smith, Jordan Thomas, who's listed as the third string tight end behind Latimer and Logan Carter all of whom are 2,500 on DraftKings. This sort of leads us nicely into the Orlando passing attack. Um, I think Quentin Dormady will probably be the most popular quarterback of the slate. I mean, QB ownership should be fairly flat, so he'll be you know, 20, maybe 25%, nothing crazy. Um, and he's a good play. Uh, you know, I mean, he's absolutely crushed in his uh in his healthy game so far i think he's averaging what do we have here like 29 DraftKings points per four quarters which is just insane his rushing has been really strong um third most quarterback carries second most designed quarterback carries and a position leading seven carries inside the 10 since week six not a great athlete but you know as long as he's willing to call his own number this this rushing equity is certainly worth something only problem here is that the San Antonio defense is really good. And we did see, I mean, the Arlington defense, I, I also think is pretty good. Last week, we saw Orlando stall out um, against a solid defense. Does it happen again? Neil, uh, what are your thoughts on Quentin Dormady? Yeah, I, I think Quentin Dormady, a very strong play. I'm with you. And it, the quarterbacks you can find with with rushing upside, that's a, it's a really important thing in the XFL. That's the one thing you don't get with Brandon Silvers. Like the passing volume is there. He's got the talented receiver. Maybe maybe also talent missing with Brandon Silvers. But uh, yeah, Quentin Dormady has looked pretty solid so far. I mean, he looked really good, obviously, two weeks ago, and then he was yeah. fine last week. Uh, so yeah, I think that Quentin, Quentin Dormady, uh, certainly a strong play here. Um, it is, you know, it's tough, the, the matchup here with the Brahmas. I do think it is a very tough spot for Dormady. So uh, it's a little bit tough. And then also, like, who do you pair him with becomes a little bit of a tough question. I actually do like some of the receivers here, though, the, uh, from the Orlando side. So I think there are some stacks that I think I am going to like here. So, yeah, I would say that Dormady is going to be certainly my player pool. I don't know to what extent he's going to be a priority. It's probably going to come down to uh, ownership. And I don't know. I don't really have a strong take yet on where Dormady is going to be relative to some of these other quarterbacks. But if he's going to be, you know, you said you think he's going to be the chalkiest quarterback on the slate, Jake? Probably. I mean, I, I'm expecting quarterback uh, ownership this week to be fairly flat. And Dormady, I mean, he's projecting well for us. He's projecting well industry-wide. So I'm anticipating him being, you know, 20, 25%. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I, I, I think lower than that would make a ton of sense. And, you know, 30 plus would make a ton of sense. So yeah, probably somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, Chris, how do you how do you want to stack this offense? Because this receiver discussion is um, a little tricky with with Latimer out. Yeah, so I mean, Latimer is a guy that had over twenty percent of the targets six out of eight weeks, and the two weeks that he wasn't, it was still above fifteen percent. So I mean, it's a large chunk of the offense that we, and he's a very unique role that he plays. Uh, yeah. they, I mean, they list him as a tight end. He played wide receiver in the NFL. He's you know he's kind of a tweener. 
So I don't know if they, there's no obvious pivot for them to just like plug and play a different guy in that position. Um, in terms of guys that I'm most looking to stack with him, Rambo is probably my favorite. I mean, we see this guy miss on deep, uh, like multiple deep targets a game. One of these days they're going to connect uh, and he should be due for a big game. Uh, and he's probably not going to be super popular because of that. Eli Rogers is definitely going to be popular. He had a big game last week. Um, it's hard to not like him though, despite the chalk, because um, he's only what fifty three hundred. Yeah, he's still pretty cheap. So he's very cheap. It's going to be hard for him to not at least you know pay that value off. If I think he's going to get near, you know, I mean, I don't know how popular do you think he gets? I think he's probably going to be the most. I actually definitely going to be the most popular wide receiver on the slate, at least for the fifteen dollar. Yeah, maybe thirty-five percent. Neil, you have yeah. a take there. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, people are going to be chasing the big game that he had last time out. Yeah. I would guess he's at least north of thirty percent. Yeah, so that that you don't you don't love playing a XFL wide receiver that popular, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, so it's definitely going to be Rambo. If depending on how different my other lineups are, I'll, I'll probably will get to some Rogers. I'll probably only play him in Dormity stacks. Um, that way, you know, I don't want a one-off. 35% owned wide receiver in my lineup. Uh, Dan yeah. Williams is also fine. And then any of these tight ends, it's, I don't have a strong lean for any of them. Logan Carter, Jordan Thomas, Jalen Smith. You have to imagine one of them does get a bump in workload. We just, it's just really hard to know though. Yeah, it is. It is really hard to know. I mean, Logan Carter is the guy who, you know, you look at these non Latimer tight ends, he's getting the, you know, way more routes than the next closest guy, way more targets than the next closest guy. So it makes sense to assume it's him at the same time. I think Jalen Smith and he, Jordan Thomas too, like their skill set sort of matches what Latimer was doing a little bit better than Logan Carter. Um, you know, my lean there is, is Carter at the same time, they're all 2,500. So um, you know, you can take some shots there. Part of me also thinks that there's a, a very small chance that they just say, Hey, Jalen Smith, this is your role now. And he gets, you know, Latimer's targets and Latimer's routes. Um, unlikely, I, I think, but certainly possible. The guy that I really like is Charleston Rambo. Um, since week six, Rambo is second in air yards, fifth in targets and second in targets of 20 or more yards six total targets of 20 or more yards. He's only caught one of them. So, um, you know, we've seen, I was, I was at the game in week six watching the game last week. It's like, if he can just connect on, on one or two of these, I mean, you know, he's so close to 60, 70 yard touchdowns seemingly every game. Um, I feel like he's going to get there eventually. And I mean, we've seen Dormady throw good deep balls. It's like every other week, his deep balls on the money. Um, so maybe this will be the, the on week for Dormady. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think Rogers is fine. Uh, Dan Williams is, is fine. I'm, I'm kind of with you, Chris. I think that's a good take that, you know, Rogers as a one-off may not have a ton of juice compared to him in, in Dormady stacks. Uh, Neil, any final takes on, on player ownership or, uh, how you're going to play this, uh, these wide receivers here. Yeah. I'm hundred percent with you on Charleston Rambo. He's one of my favorite plays on the slate. I don't think he's going to get much ownership at 8,000 and, and I'm with you, especially with, with Latimer out. You just think that maybe Charleston Rambo, uh, gets even more of a target share here. Uh, yeah. so I, I love Charleston Rambo at potentially low ownership at 8,000, like him quite a bit. Uh, Dan Williams at 4,000, I think very much in play. He could also pick up a little bit of target share. Eli Rogers, I agree with you. I think that I'd much rather play him 
in stacks rather than as a one-off because yeah, I do think that he's going to be overowned. If he is north of 30%, that is overowned for Eli Rogers. Uh, Cause we have another, you know, a number of guys who are going to be having similar roles here and he's just going to get the ownership. I think uh, because he had the big game last time out. So Eli Rogers, probably my least favorite of that uh, trio there between Rambo Williams and Rogers. Uh, and then the, the tight ends, yeah, it's really, really hard to know what to do here because if one of these tight ends, if Jalen Smith is going to just step into that Cody Latimer role at 2,500, like, yeah, that's a slam dunk. You would absolutely yeah. love that. It's like, a, of course, we thought the same thing with uh, Justin Smith stepping in for the John Trey Kirkland role. And then, of course, yeah. hasn't quite panned out. But I still think the logic is right that if he does take on that role and people aren't going to play him because they haven't seen him yet and he's 2,500, he's going to be the, the best play that we've seen all year. We just have no idea if that is the case. As you said, we've seen Logan Carter has been, you know, splitting uh, time more so with Cody Latimer. So I'd be, I'm probably going to mix in those two. I don't think I'm going to take any shots on uh, the, the third tight end there, but I think Jalen Williams, Logan Carter, I think I am going to mix them in because they could be absolutely slam dunks at very low ownership. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. I think Jalen Smith and, and Logan Carter are probably the only, the only two I'm going to mix in Jordan Thomas, just really not getting a lot of run. And I mean, he is listed as tight end three on the depth chart. So if they, if they do say, Hey, you know, back up you're you're in the Latimer role. I mean, that still wouldn't be Jordan Thomas. He would just be right. back up to the guy who is now in the Latimer role. So yeah, pretty good stuff there guys. Uh, running back here. Um, Devin Darrington is still kind of tempting to me. I mean, he's getting um, last week. We saw a closer to 50, 50 split, which was a little unfortunate. I was kind of hoping that he would push more towards that bell cow, like Brian Hill type role. Didn't quite happen. So still anticipating a, a pretty even split here with John main Martin at the same time though. I mean, Darrington seems to be the, the favorite in the red zone, especially close to the goal line. Um, and I just think he has a lot more juice, like from an efficiency perspective. Uh, Chris, can I interest you in any Devin Darrington this week? Uh, yeah, I'll probably mix him in. I wouldn't call him a priority by any means, uh, but this is a game I think Orlando can get up in and potentially win. So I, you know, I like having a running back at, in that price range. Uh, Martin is frustrating. He did seem to play more, particularly when they were down last week. Um, maybe yeah. they view his pass protection a little bit, which if you watch the game at all, Arlington's pass rush was just destroying Orlando's pass protection. Uh, so maybe that maybe that was what led to the Martin snap share being a little bit higher last week. Maybe they just don't trust Darrington as yeah. much in that role. Um, but if they can get up and, and want to grind, grind the ball, I, I do think Darrington is the guy they prefer. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, we could definitely, you know, the spread is, is pretty close to a pick them, you know, San Antonio only favored by two. So we could definitely see Orlando, you know, come out, come out with a hot start and, and gain an early lead. Um, Neil, any, any love for this backfield? Not a ton, just because the, the matchup is pretty tough uh, with the Brahmas. Once again, maybe, maybe they're going to need that pass projection from Jamain Martin. Uh, so it's yeah. a little bit tough, but he is 5,500. We just saw Devin Darrington a couple weeks ago at what 5,100, get a couple touchdowns, break the slate for the, half a percent of people who played him, whatever it was. Yeah. So I think uh, I agree with you. Devin Tarnan certainly seems to be the more talented running back of the two. Uh, but if it's going to be a 50-50 timeshare, and you, you might be right, maybe maybe if they do get up and they are running the ball more, maybe Darrington actually picks up more of that load. But it's, it's certainly not a priority. I think that he's another player that if I were, you know, 150 max in, I'd have some shares of Darrington. I'd probably actually have some shares of John Main Martin as well at zero ownership, but uh, definitely not priorities for me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough because this backfield has just been so unproductive. 
um, throughout the season. I mean, since Dormady's taken over, the offense has been a little better. That has increased backfield production by about 25%. But I mean, like I said at the beginning of the show last week, seven weighted opportunity points for the entire backfield. The worst backfield usage of any any backfield in any game this season. I mean, the floor is really, really low for these guys. Uh, at the same time, I do like Darrington a little bit in tournaments. He'll you know, probably have 10 or 15%, nothing crazy. Uh, but I do like him a bit. Um, moving on to the San Antonio side of things, we saw Jack Cohn look pretty rough last week. Um, this passing attack has been super inefficient. I, I DM'd Chris uh, earlier today, and I, I told him that the bottom, there are 43 wide receivers in the XFL who have at least 10 targets. The bottom three players in yards per outrun are Nick Holly, who most of his routes came with Houston, but he's now on San Antonio, TJ Vasher, and Fred Brown. Um, pretty rough. Neil, you're the Brahmas fan here. Any love for Jack Cohn or these San Antonio wide receivers? No love for Jack Cohn. I'm not, not going to be playing Jack Cohn here. Um, yeah, as much as I love the Brahmas, I think they need to upgrade the quarterback spot a little bit. I do. They I almost do re- had it. They almost had it with. Ben I know. And he broke I thought Benkert might be good. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. thought. I thought they almost. They thought Jawan Pass definitely was not the guy, but no. but Benkert I thought looked pretty good. Um, yeah, I think uh, so. I, it's really tough. I, I don't think I would want to play multiple San Antonio receivers in the same lineup. I think I will be sprinkling in. Landon Acres, I think that they they just love him like he's just a, his target share is so high. If you could ever get in the end zone to go with his uh, receptions, he's going to look really good. Probably not going to get a ton of ownership, and he's seventy nine hundred. So I do think that uh, I have some interest in Landon Acres. Fred Brown similarly is thirty seven hundred. You can play some Fred Brown. Uh, T J Vasher, actually, I probably I probably rank them Acres, Vasher, Brown. Uh, I don't know if I would play any Nick Hawley. I don't think he's that good. So it'd probably be uh, Acres, Vasher, Brown for me. Let me let me take a look real quick. Um, would you would you agree with that? I think that's probably my order. Let's see. Uh, Chris, I'm I'm curious on your thoughts because I would go I would go Acres, Brown, Vasher. At the same time, I mean, I made the argument for Vasher week after week. I mean, I saw Stay Odd Stay Odd in the chat saying, you know, he's died on the Vasher Hill these yeah, last few weeks. Me and too. I mean, I've you know, I like the underlying metrics are pretty good. Um, ninth in air yards, 22nd in targets, fourth in red zone target rate since week five. I mean, at a wide, wide receiver, 35 price tag, you know, you'd always look at that and say, oh, that's, that's a pretty decent value. The problem is like, he's not getting separation. I mean, I think Chris mentioned last week that he didn't think he was a particularly good player. And I agree. I mean, he's just not separating. Um, he's a big yeah, guy. Crit. He's a, he's yeah. a, you know, pull it down guy, but yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then Al, by the way, I forgot to mention Al is a Mac cause uh, the tight end yeah. also in there as well. I think I'd probably rank him. I don't know th- those four. It, it's tough to know exactly how to rank those four, but I think all four are in play. I'm going to have them sprinkle throughout my lineups. Yeah. My, my favorite is probably acres. I mean, he still doesn't project well enough to really pull much ownership. I bet he's around like 10%. So I really don't mind him as like a, I guess sort of like mid upper mid range wide receiver that you can grab at a kind of low ownership. But yeah, Chris, I'm curious on, on your thoughts here. Um, yeah. Any love for these guys? Yeah. I mean, none of them, none of them are a priority. It's mostly acres. I'd rank them acres and then Mac Vasher Brown are kind of all in the same tier to me. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the the good girl in the in the background really yeah. likes the same. I saw. I think Chris just tried to uh, tried to mute himself while he was talking for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I realized I was like, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> um, yeah, I you know I you can use sprinkles of these guys, but I would I you know if you're optimizing, definitely set a rule. You know, no more than one San Antonio wide receiver. Um, this passing game has just been 
been really rough. But at the same time, I mean, the running backs here or running back, I should say, and Jaquez Patrick, I mean, this dude has been like right there with Brian Hill as the league's premier bell cow. Uh, high end, you know, over 70% on the routes, like close to 80% on his snaps. Um, pretty much been leading the league and weighted opportunity uh, since Kalen Balaj tore his Achilles. I mean, Jaquez Patrick, really strong floor. I'm still, you know, I think you could argue against the ceiling, given that we've seen the San Antonio offense struggle quite a bit. At the same time, I mean, what they score last week, like 16, 17 points, and, and he dropped, you know, 22 DraftKings points. I think almost got into the end zone twice. Um, Neil, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, thoughts on Jaquez Patrick here? Yeah, lo- love Jaquez Patrick. Involved in the passing game, involved in the run- running game. I see you guys have Jaquez Patrick as the highest projected player running back on the entire slate. I think yep. we have him second, uh, but he's certainly going to be one of the better project. I mean, one of the better plays out there. He just gets volume, all aspects of the game. He's on, of course, the best team in the XFL, so that helps. Um, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully they just start running the ball. Since they can't throw the ball, maybe they just start running the ball even more with Jaquez Patrick. Uh, yeah, I like him quite a bit. The, the price tag is right at seventy seven hundred. It's obviously not the uh, slam dunk he was at 5600 or whatever it used to be but i like i like Chiquez patrick here against orlando per- particularly in a matchup that the brahmas are favored he looks even better so yeah hard, hard not to love patrick here yeah like we could uh, san antonio i mean not a team that we really anticipate putting up a lot of points but you know 20 point implied team total alongside facing the league's worst defense you know by a pretty good margin here yeah. so i wouldn't be surprised if we saw you know a fairly efficient offensive performance from san antonio and maybe they do manage to you know get in the end zone four times and you know patrick could could definitely get half those touchdowns if if that's the case uh chris um, once you factor in ownership though, you know, Patrick's probably going to be the highest owned player on the slate. I would guess 45 or 50%. Um, you know, do you think it's, it's worth it to go underweight and, you know, just hope the, the bell cow workload doesn't go, uh, uh, doesn't kill you. I'm probably not going to go that route. I, okay. I don't know how much over I'll get, um, or how close I'll get to, you know, 50% or whatever he ends up coming in at. I, mm-hmm. he, his workload is just, is, is so awesome. I mean, he's got three straight weeks of around 15% target share. He's getting all almost all the carries. If they do get in the red zone, he's going to be the guy to do it. I think I can just get different elsewhere. And and I just don't see a lot of ways that Patrick really kills your lineup. Yeah. I mean, the floor there is just so, so strong, especially with the targets. I mean, this offense we've, we've seen game after game, doesn't matter who the quarterback is. I mean, they just throw, they pepper these running backs with targets. Um, so yeah, the floor with Patrick is really strong and I'm kind of with you. I think I'm, I'm not exactly sure where, where I'll end up, but I seriously doubt I'm, you know, I'm not going to be like very underweight the field, probably worst case, maybe 35 or 40% could push for 60, you know, somewhere in that range for, for my lineups. I think it just makes sense to try to attack this slate elsewhere. Um, Neil, any thoughts on Patrick's ownership before we move on here? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm probably going to be somewhere. And I don't know if I'll end up overweight, underweight, but it's probably going to be in the realm of, of where the ownership ends up, which will probably be 50% or so. I think he's going to be very highly owned, and I think he probably should be. Sweet. All right. Moving on to our first game on Sunday. We've got the Arlington Renegades at the DC Defenders. This is a noon kickoff on Sunday. Uh, 41 and a half total. DC is favored by eight and a half. Uh, this is going to be the first sellout in spring football history, and I'm actually going to be at this game, so I'm pretty excited for that. Um, Chris, any thoughts on bets here? Uh, I don't have any strong leans on this one. I think it's pretty much where where I would have projected it. 
Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I don't really feel comfortable taking a side on the total. I think, you know, DC minus eight and a half makes a lot of sense. Uh, I've seen nine and a half in some spots, but I mean, that that wouldn't make me take Arlington. I just, yeah, I can't, can't get there really on, on either side. Neil, do you, do you have any leans here? If I were going to take a spot, it would be Arlington with Luis Perez. I think they're a little bit more likely to put up more points. So I do think that I, I would probably take Arlington with the points. If I were going to bet on this game, I don't know that. I don't know that it would, I, it's, I, we, we can't sports bet here in Minnesota. So I don't, you know, have a, a strong history of sports betting. Uh, but I, my inclination would be to take the points with Arlington there. Yeah, I, I I think that makes sense. I mean, definitely a reasonable argument that uh, odds makers are a little slow to adjust to Perez now being the the starter there in Arlington. Um, injuries really not too much to worry about here. Caleb Vanderesh looks pretty questionable. He's dealing with a concussion. He got a limited practice in on Thursday, so maybe he plays. I lean towards him sitting. Uh, on the DC side of things, really not much to worry about. But Josh Hammond has posted back to back limited practices due to a hamstring issue if he sits brandon smith who is priced at 3200 would be thrust into a near full-time role he would be a really great play if hammond sits i kind of lead towards hammond playing i think he's been dealing with this hamstring thing for a while um but yeah if he sits, brandon smith is is definitely the guy to target there um starting things off on the arlington side uh chris i'll throw it to you first i know that you said you you kind of like perez here uh i'm not sure i can get there but yeah curious on your on your thoughts on perez uh, i definitely i don't want to make it sound like i'm you know jamming perez but <laughs> i do think he is worth some some exposure to i mean dc has not shown to have a good defense we've seen them get into multiple shootouts even though they don't really throw the ball uh type games i think and we've seen perez be pretty good he had 8.3 yards per attempt last week which is, is very good i mean they didn't throw the ball a ton um but yeah i think he's worth uh throwing out there the stacking situation is the tough part my favorite is probably brandon arcanado um so they've actually trained together in the past and i think part of uh, we saw arcanado reach a 80 percent route share last week to lead the team mm-hmm. I think that was intentional that they knew Prez would be comfortable with him and throwing to him. So he's probably my favorite stacking partner. I think Winningham would be number two on that list. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, and then all the other guys, not not super interested in. Yeah, the, the argument for Perez is interesting because, yeah, it's like we don't think he's great. We don't think this offense is very good. At the same time, you know, 8,600 and 3% ownership, I think, you know, definitely makes some sense for GPPs. Neil, you think you're going to be able to get there on the four game slate? Maybe a little bit on the four game slate, probably, probably not a ton. Um, yeah. but just because it, he, he's new to the offense, I always love, you know, in, in GPPs finding situations that are changing that maybe we don't, that are hard to predict. I think that this is, you know, obviously he started the last game, but I still think he was, you know, getting used to the offense. Maybe he is a little bit better in the offense now and people won't play him because he wasn't great last week. It is really tough though, with how spread out these receivers are like there, there's nobody who's like getting a ton of running a ton of routes here. So it really makes it hard to stack. Uh, I might be talking myself out of, I, I might not end up there just because it's so hard to stack 
with any confidence with these receivers. And there are just other spots that like, I don't see him putting up, you know, 35 points and everybody else putting up 20 and being the, the quarterback that you need yeah. to have. So I think it's probably a fade for me. Yeah. I, I think I might, I might have a Perez lineup or two, but yeah, I mean, I think like the toughest part with Perez is it, like, who do you stack him with? I mean, I think, you know, Arcanado getting to that 80% route share last week can give you some confidence, but I mean, like I've said on previous shows, it kind of feels like they're just hitting randomized on these, these routes every week. And I mean, well, we should have Victor Bolden back. So, you know, that could throw a wrench into some of these route shares. I think Lawan Winningham is actually a pretty dang good player, but he really hasn't gotten over like a 50% route share um, in any contest this season. He's made some really athletic catches and has looked good with the ball in his hands. But yeah, I mean, if I have a Perez lineup or two, I'm probably just going Arcanado and, and hoping that I can, you know, get there mostly on ownership. Um, running back here, I think is kind of interesting i mean you know davion smith had that blow up game what two weeks ago and but other than that like really hasn't done much at the same time though that's largely been because the offense has struggled and with a 16 point implied team total we're probably not anticipating much offensive production for arlington this week um neil i'll throw it over to you any interest in davion smith or even letty brown at 4500 who we've seen you know steal about 40 percent of the snaps each week since he signed with the team yeah, for a little while, it looked like Letty Brown was really going to come on and be like the guy. Like, I thought he might actually surpass Davion Smith uh, at one point. Doesn't look like he's going to. I still think that Davion Smith seems to be, you know, the 60 uh, 40 leader of the clubhouse, whatever the, whatever the breakdown is. I think that Davion Smith is a guy. I do still have some interest in Davion Smith. He's 8,400. Probably not going to get a ton of ownership. And and we saw like he, he was zero owned in that game where he had the two touchdowns and broke the slate. I still don't think he's going to have a ton of ownership because he is fairly inconsistent, but he does get, you know, he has pretty good usage in this offense. He's involved a bit in the passing game as well as the running game. Um, so I, I do have some interest in Davion Smith. What do you have? He ran, yeah, 14 routes last week. So just, just one target last week, but he's had games where he had more. Um, he, he'd be, he'd be one of the running backs that, I'm probably going to have in, I'm probably going to be above the field on Davion Smith. I'm probably going to have him in double digit of my lineups because I like to, in general, places where I get different is if you can find a player that I think has the chance to break the slate at low ownership, I want to take shots there. And I think Davion Smith has that at least enough opportunity where it's at least some possibility, uh, especially because he's involved in the passing game as well. So my guess would be I actually end up above the field on Davion Smith. Yeah. The, the argument for Davion Smith, I think, you know, makes some sense it's really just touchdown equity. I mean, the targets, you know, give him a, a decent floor, uh, but we know he's going to get every goal line carry. So if, you know, if Arlington gets it inside the five, I mean, I have no doubt what their first, first and goal play is going to be. It's going to be a handoff to Davion Smith. It's been every time this season. Um, Chris, you think you're going to be able to get there on Davion Smith? Cause I'm still, I'm still not sure where I'm going to fall. I don't have a ton of interest in either of these backs, but I do, I'm leaning towards this being a Letty Brown game over Smith. So Letty Brown's been running way more routes than Smith. He ran 50% of the routes last week. This is a game I think they're trailing in. Um, so maybe that means Letty Brown plays a little bit more. The hard, like the reason I don't have interest, really that much interest in either of them though, is because, because of that, that Letty Brown seems to be their preferred passing guy, but Smith gets all the high value touches and whatnot. So it's, yeah. it's kind of a wash in the end. So I, I don't hate either one, um, but I, I think I have a slight lean to Letty Brown this week. 
Yeah, I know that we didn't talk about uh, John Hilleman when we got to the San Antonio side of things, but he's only 3,100 in the battle of like super low price salary saving guys. It's it's really, you know, John Hilleman versus Letty Brown. I think I prefer Hilleman. Um, you know, Hilleman could steal a touchdown. He's playing about 35% of the snaps. Letty Brown's underlying metrics are underlying metrics are a little stronger, but he probably has worse TD equity and he's more expensive. Um, Chris, do you have a lean like between those two guys? Um, yeah, I'm probably on board with what you said and, and Hillman would be, you know, the better dart throw. And I, I get the extra salary to work in a, you know, a better wide receiver somewhere. Yeah, I don't, I mean, you know, the fact that minimum running back salaries are are 3000, I think, you know, we've seen a few spots throughout the season where you have this opportunity to just totally punt running back. And this week you can do it with, with Hilleman. And, you know, if he gets you six points, I mean, he might just get there on targets alone, <laughs> given how many targets the San Antonio running backs get. So I think that makes some sense. Uh, Neil, any, any lean between Letty Brown and, and Hilleman for low priced dart throw at running back? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I think a slightly in toward Letty Brown, actually, just because I think that there, there's more likelihood of Letty Brown actually taking over more of the workload where like yeah. for a little while it looked like he was going to he actually looked really strong in a few of those games. Whereas I don't really think John Hilleman does unless we see an injury to Jaquez Patrick. I think Jaquez Patrick like clearly going to be the guy unless he yeah. gets hurt. Whereas I think there's at least a little bit more risk that Letty Brown just takes over more of the workload from Davion Smith. So I would say that's my slightly, and I, I agree with you though, like 30, the, the price difference makes a difference uh, to some extent. So it's a, it's a toss up, but I think I'd, I'd lean slightly toward Letty Brown just because of the more, more opportunity to potentially like have a big role here. Yeah. I think, I think that argument makes a lot of sense. I mean, for me, like, on the Arlington side of things, I think I'm most of my exposure. I might have a little Davion, but most of my exposure will probably just be to Winningham and Arcanado and, and hope. I mean, DC is so aggressive with blitzing that it feels like they're just a lock to give up a long passing touchdown every game. So I'm kind of just hoping that one of these wide receivers can actually get there on a Perez. I, I want to bring up one more name because oh, yeah. we need to talk about what the hell happened to Sal Canella because Sal, Sal Canella oh, at yeah. the end of the year looked like an absolute stud. And I kept playing him. I was like, the field's not going to play <laughs> Sal Canella. And I was like, what is going on there? Is he just not good? I just don't think they I think that he his like a dot and whatnot is just too low and the offense is not efficient enough to make up the difference for that so he just doesn't get into a lot of high leverage situations that being said like if Perez does make this offense better it could revive him a little bit because he does I mean last week he had what zero targets which is probably the outlier there yeah um, 24% target share weeks one through seven zero percent target right. share week eight concerning though to see his route share these last two weeks fall to 65% uh first six weeks of the season it was 90% so yeah. I I wonder if he's just kind of falling out of favor with the team I mean I'm I I don't think anyone's gonna get to Canella I mean maybe this is like the ultimate flop lag spot where Canella at two percent you know could get eight or ten targets I I'm not buying it, but um, yeah, the A dot's so low that you need a ton of volume for him, or you know, a score or two for him to pay off. Um, yeah, Neil, do you think he's going to make your way into your your four game slate teams? Well, he was he was out last week. Am I right about that? I don't no, see him was, in. A... He uh, just didn't get a target. Sixty one percent of the routes. I don't think he got hurt because he didn't pop up on the injury report this Interesting. week. Interesting. So okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at PFF right now. I thought. I figured that he would be in there, but I guess they only show a player if they actually got a target. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, at, at zero ownership, somebody who at one point was a stud, uh, I think that I he probably will actually make it into my player. But I actually, I have some interest there. He, he's actually like 
when you say he's got a low A dot, I mean, I, I think of, uh, I, I guess Landon Acres has turned it up a little. I feel like early in the season, that was kind of the, the Landon Acres thing. Uh, yeah. I think they, they've been throwing it downfield a little bit more there. Um, man, if nobody's going to play him and he's down to what, 6,600 price tag. That's uh, it's intriguing to me for, for a large field GPP. I actually think that he is somebody that I am going to consider playing, particularly because as you said, Luis Perez could revive him a little bit. And he did at one point look like he was going to be like carrying this offense. He was one of those, like play him every week kind of guy for a little while. And now he's, I don't know. It's maybe he would, maybe he's a little bit dinged up. Maybe he's recovering from something. Uh, hasn't seemed to be the case. I think they just, I think he might be right that he's fallen out of favor, but if nobody's going to play him and there's at least some chance that he does get back to his old form, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking myself into him a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, you know, against this DC pass defense that is giving up, you know, 267 passing yards per game, which is a mark that leads stacks or is the worst in the XFL, I should say. Um, you know, I do think it makes sense to sprinkle in some of these Arlington guys and, you know, Sal Canella at a reduced price tag. Um, certainly viable there. I think, I think Neil may have convinced me to, to not X him out of my player pool this week. Um, all right. Any, any other thoughts on this game before we move on guys? One more thought on Canelo. Oh, well, well, DC. We, DC side. Oh, DC yeah, we should do the I, DC side. Yeah, I, I, I do that about I, once every two or three weeks. So <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's not, happens to the best of us. Uh, I think Canelo actually was like a, a former teammate of his old quarterback. Who, who was the old quarterback in Arlington? Slaughter. That was part of the narrative. Yeah, it was Slaughter. Yeah. Slaughter and Canelo were like had that connection. So so maybe he just fell off uh, with, with Slaughter losing favor too. I don't know. Anyway, we, we can move on from Canelo. <laughs> yeah, those, talk uh, about him. those connection narratives are always are always yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, the DC side of things, uh, Jordan Tayamu, we've seen, I mean, Derek King is like not playing nearly as much as he did early on in the season. It seems like the team has a, a lot of faith in Tayamu. I am kind of struggling to figure out how popular Tayamu would be. Like I said earlier, I think quarterback ownership ends up pretty flat here, in which case, you know, we probably get 15 ish, maybe pushing towards 20% on Tayamu at the same time, you know, he's been priced up 10,100. Um, Chris, I'll throw it over to you. Do you, any love for Tayamu this week? I'm still not sure where I fall here. Uh, not really. I, yeah. I'm a little lower on the D similar to when we talked about Orlando versus San Antonio's defense. I think Arlington's defense is better than people might think. And mm -hmm. therefore I think the DC side could just be a little bit, you know, they're not going to do terrible, but I, I don't know if he's going to pay off that $10,000 price tag. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a great feel on ownership for him either. It's hard to imagine like how far he is from Dormity, but I think I would rather get to Dormity if I can, um, yeah. and just bet that Teamu isn't super efficient. Uh, I don't love his stacking options is probably an, another big part. It's Lucky yeah. Jackson and Chris Blair. I, I bet Chris Blair is now going to be the more popular of the two, um, and I, I just don't like, you know, playing these guys that much just because they, you know, they just don't pass that much in this offense. So it's easy for them to flop. And I almost always will just if I do play one, it's going to be whatever one is less popular than the other. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'd anticipate that being Lucky Jackson this week, Blair projects as a much stronger value industry wide. He's 5,900. Lucky Jackson has been priced way up now, 8,400. Um, so could, you know, could get a little contrary in there pairing Tayamu with Jackson. Um, the other thing about Tayamu is that he's looked a lot better throwing the ball these last mm -hmm. few weeks. At the same time, though, I mean, watching Jordan Tayamu in the USFL even earlier this season, he is a very streaky passer. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he still has a bad game in the tank somewhere. Uh, Neil, any any love for Jordan Tayamu in this uh, DC passing attack? 
a little bit. I'm, I'm with you. So the hardest part, as you said, I agree with you. The hardest part is knowing who to pair him with because generally there's going to be at least one pairing option who looks severely overowned to me. It's been extremely frustrating for for me all year that it seems like you know we'll see Lucky Jackson not really do much and then suddenly he's 50% owned and he scores two touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, we see that consistently with the team. So I kind of hate it, uh, but yeah, I don't I don't really know that I'm going to get too much Jordan Tayamu just because I really struggle with the. Don't really. I think Lucky Jackson probably remains a little bit overowned. Maybe not. Maybe up. Maybe at this price tag, he's not going to be quite as chalky as he once was. Chris Blair coming off that huge game. The hard thing is, I mean, Jordan Tiamu has shown that like they they've made some big splash plays here, like past the fifty yard line, just some really big plays with these receivers and just entirely break the slate. Uh, maybe maybe we can hope that Arlington is able to keep them in check and they don't have these big splash plays, but. I don't. I don't really want to play a ton of Jordan Tam. I, I think he's probably in my player pool, but not somebody that I'm getting above the field on. Yeah, it's it's tough because of the way DC runs their offense. Pretty much every team plays them with only one single high safety, which means that if Tayamu can connect on these deep throws, I mean, he's always getting like these one on ones down the field with you know Hammond, Blair, Lucky Jackson, and he's been throwing well. So yeah, th- those splash plays have really contributed to his his fantasy output. Um, you know, I. I I probably won't. I'll definitely have some Tayamu. I, I probably won't go crazy here. I mean, it, it gets really easy to stack him if Hammond somehow sits, because then you just play Brandon Smith and you know hope Smith catches a touchdown or three or four passes and you're good. Um, yeah, I don't know. Any final thoughts here, guys? Uh, either either one of you. I'm I'm still I'm still kind of struggling on my take here. I really don't have a strong one. I, I don't have a strong one. I agree with you though that Brandon Smith would be the most interesting if Josh Hammond is out. That yeah. would probably make me actually a little bit more inclined to play Jordan Tayamu, just because mm-hmm. I think that you'd get have one low owned receiver that you could pair him with there. Uh, so I would be maybe more inclined to play him in that scenario, which seems weird. You know, one of his good receivers being out makes me more inclined to play him. <laughs> uh, but but I think that is the case here. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, it's, it's one of the tougher spots to get right here. I think so. I'm probably going to sure. be low owned, but I'll probably get to a little bit of Tayamu. Yeah, and we've seen the field be like so unwilling to adjust to this injury news that Brandon Smith, like if Hammond is ruled out an hour and a half before this game starts, Brandon Smith is going to be three, four, five percent, despite being one of the top projected values of the slate. Um, yeah, Chris, any any final thoughts on this DC passing attack before we move on? No, I agree with what you guys said. We can we can go to the running backs. Sweet, yeah. So Abram Smith, I mean, you know, kind of the same old, same old with him. I mean, we know he's going to get close to 70% of the snaps. We know he's going to get most of the rushing work. We know he's going to get about 75% of the red zone work. The targets aren't there. Um, and Raquel Armstead is, you know, stealing eh, 30% of the snaps, 30 or so percent of backfield weighted opportunity, occasionally stealing like an inside the 10 carry. Um, Chris, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, do you like Abram Smith this week? Uh, I'm fine with him, but I think I just like Brian Hill and Jaquiz Patrick, who's cheaper that you know much more and i'd rather just if i'm gonna play a more popular running back rather play one of those two guys um he's not a bad play by any means and we expect them to win this game so he should get a lot of run but i think the arlington defense is solid and you know could keep him in check from having a huge game that kills me yeah i think smith's floor is a lot lower than the projections you know median projections suggest because i mean one you know tayamu and Derek king can steal these goal line touchdowns and he doesn't catch any passes i mean you know tayamu is not going to check it down to running backs he's just going to take off and run um and i lo- personally i like brian hill a-, a lot more and you know obviously we'll get to him shortly uh you know neil do you, do you have any take on you know where abram smith's ownership is going to come in here because that's kind of where i'm struggling i can't tell if he's going to be 
you know, in that 25% range, or if, you know, it's going to be one of those weeks where everyone kind of overlooks Abram Smith and all of a sudden he turns into a pretty strong tournament play because he's so low owned. I would, I would guess that he's around 20% here. If I, I like, I think that people are going to go there because he is one of the most consistent, you, you know, you can count on the carriers from Abram Smith. He he's also involved in the passing game. So there are just not that many running backs that you can really count on for a real workload. And I think Abram yeah. Smith is one of those guys. So I think he'll get ownership. I don't think I'm taking a huge stand here. I think I'm going to try to be right around 20% right with the field on Abram Smith. He's not a fade for me because, as I said, I mean, he's just uh, he's got such high workload. And although, as you said, the floor might not be there, the ceiling is certainly there as well. We, we've seen, oh, yeah. you know, the week where he just went completely off a few weeks back. Uh, I think that that's always in his bag of tricks. Obviously, we don't love the matchup, but uh, he, he's still just with the workload. Um, you know, you, you don't you don't have consistent workload for that many XFL backs. So, yeah, I'm probably going to be around the field, around 20% on Abram Smith. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. I mean, 20%, I think, makes sense. I'll probably come in underweight there. But yeah, I mean, you know, a guy like Abram Smith, who's going to get, you know, 20 carries in a game that should be all positive game script for DC. I think, you know, pretty easy to convince yourself that he's he's a decent play there. Um, Raquel Armstead, I think, I mean, unless you guys disagree, probably only in play for for showdown. I believe there is a Sunday two game slate. You could you could argue for him there. But um, I don't know. People will probably drift more towards a guy like Letty Brown, I would imagine. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to our final game of the slate. This is one of the best games of the year and one of the most important games of the year for playoff positioning. It's the Seattle Sea Dragons at the St. Louis Battlehawks. Kickoff is Sunday at 3 p.m. Total here is 46. St. Louis is favored by one and a half points. Uh, before we get into injuries, Chris, uh, do you like any bets here? Um. Uh... I don't have a strong lean on this one. I, if I had to lean one side, it'd probably be the Seattle one, but I'm, I don't think I'll place end up placing any bets for this one. Yeah. I kind of like the under, I kind of like Seattle. I really don't have much conviction in either take um, Neil. You have, you have anything here? Yeah. I, I don't have any, the line looks about right. I was thinking this, this is a game I'd like an over. And then I see the line and I'm like, no, that's pretty efficient. I don't, yeah. don't say anything I love. All right. Um, moving on to injuries on the Seattle side, totally clean. So that's nice on the St. Louis side. Mateo Durant is concussed and he hasn't practiced all week. So I would expect Kareem Walker to handle all backup running back duties. Um, AJ McCarron was limited in Thursday's practice. That was the only practice uh, St. Louis has had this week, at least according to their injury report. He doesn't yet have an official designation. Uh, I believe that should come out at some point later today. Uh, but on last week's broadcast, the announcers noted that he could have played against Vegas in week eight, but that the team wanted to hold him out because this game against Seattle is their biggest game of the year. So at least to me, McCarron is a near lock to suit up here. Um, normally we start with the away team, but I think this is a good transition to start talking about St. Louis um, on DraftKings. Uh, I checked right before the show. Maybe they changed it, but McCarron has the out label next to his name. Um, assuming that doesn't change before lock, um, Neil, I'll throw it over to you. Is McCarron going to be like 5% owned? Because we've seen this before, uh, I believe on the Arlington side of things, like in showdown, Rennell Hall had the IR tag next to his name, despite being active and would be like 3% owned every slate, despite projecting fairly okay. Um, yeah, I think this, you know, this out tag on DraftKings is really going to keep people away from McCarron, despite the fact that, I mean, industry-wide, everyone's projecting him to play. And, you know, like I said, I think he's a near lock to play. Um, is he going to come in like way under owned? 
Yeah, as somebody who uses an optimizer, I did not even realize that DraftKings had Rennell Hall listed as out. Actually, I think you said it on your show. So I had heard it, but then I like forgot about it. And then I, you know, I played a good amount of Rennell Hall, or at least, you know, like probably five, eight, six percent. So not not a crazy amount. But then I see how low owned he is and I see the out, and I'm like, oh my God, I missed I missed something on Rennell Hall until then he caught a pass. And I was like, okay, never <laughs> mind. He actually yeah. is active in this game, and I actually got him at a discount. I think you're right. I think that McCarran, if they still have this out designation, uh that's going to be a boost. Like I'm going to want to play a lot more if he has that out designation because yeah, he's going to be way lower owned than he should be because hand builders aren't going to play him. So I'm absolutely with you. Uh, I would, I would love to uh, play some AJ. I guess you didn't even say this, but I, I think it was implied. I'd love to play some AJ McCarron. If he is going to be 5% or lower owned, he's going to be a great play. Uh, and I do think, I do think that's going to be a factor if, if he, if they have that designation. Yeah, I think, you know, it'll really just depend if DraftKings keeps that tag up by the time the slate locks, because if they yeah. take it off, you know, at some point today, um, I, I really don't think it'll have a significant impact on ownership. And, you know, we know McCarron's really good. He's uh, the second most productive fantasy quarterback in the XFL, PFF's highest graded passer, and he's in the highest total game of the slate. So overall, I mean, this is a pretty dang good spot for the St. Louis passing attack with, yeah, the only wild card there being the out designation next to McCarron's name. Maybe, I mean, if that tag sticks around, 5% may be too optimistic, but I, I doubt he cracks 10. I mean, it's, yep. uh, Chris, do you have any any takes here on, on McCarron and, and his ownership if DraftKings get, stays lazy and uh, doesn't change the tag? I mean, yeah, it's definitely going to be lower, but I bet you it does get closer to 10, if not slightly over it. I, I think there's enough people pl that are playing XFL DFS that are either, you know, watching a show like this or looking at some kind of projections if yeah, if someone in the industry was like hesitant to project him at a full workload, then I think, oh yeah, it's he's going to be way low on. But it looks like everyone's projecting him as a full time starter, so I do think that's going to get him up enough away from five percent and more, like ten. I think. I, I think you're actually probably right. It's a little bit different than Ronell Hall when you're talking about a quarterback, yeah, where like people are going right. to double check this as opposed to a wide receiver that nobody's ever heard of anyway. So you're probably right. Yeah, especially a quarterback with name recognition who, yeah. you know, projects well industry-wide. And, you know, as we get later into the season, I mean, it's really only the depraved grinders <laughs> like us who are yeah. still going. Um, so, yeah, these St. Louis wide receivers, I think, are pretty interesting. I mean, Hakeem Butler's priced up to the point that, you know, it's it's really tough to consider him a value. The same could be said for Darius Shepard. Um, Neil, yeah, I'm curious how you're going to play these St. Louis wide receivers because I, I have one guy that I actually really like. Um, I know who it is. I know oh, who it do. is. Okay. I, think you, I think you actually tweeted about him, and I'm 100% with you on Marcel Aitman. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so Marcel Aitman is somebody that I was peppering. I, I played so much Marcel Aitman early in the year, and it was like the first week he had like multiple red zone targets that just like pass interference or like missed catch, you know, just like didn't get yeah. the second week. He starts off hot in the first half, and then he was out injured for the second half. Just like he has not gotten there. Maybe maybe he did one game this season where he had a pretty decent game, but he's not been able to get there. But he they seem to when they need to score when they when they need to move the ball for some reason they don't uh, focus on him until they need to. They're they're better players. So it was it was actually the case with Hakeem Butler early in the year too. It was like they don't really use him unless they need to, unless like they deploy yeah. him when they like need a touchdown. They need to move the ball. So I, I think that Mar Marcel Aitman, another one of those guys when, when he's down at forty three hundred. If he were still expensive, I'd be like, yeah, it's probably a pass for me, but. Down at 4,300 now, I think that Marcel Aitman, very interesting to me. Somebody that uh, if he's not going to get much ownership as, you know, coming in, he was he was the wide receiver one on this team. I still think he's got some talent. So, uh, yeah, si sign me up for a 4,300 Marcel Aitman. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think Hakeem Butler, obviously, uh, the price has come up enough that he's not going to be 
extremely popular at 11,000. I still have some interest there. Um, Darius Shepard, I think, uh, is somebody that, what did he run last week? Darius Shepard ran, was he out last pretty week? Much, yeah, no, he ran pretty much every route. He was, he was oh, yeah, yeah, here, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I scrolled down, yeah, 40, yeah. Darius Shepard was out there, Hakeem Butler for basically every route. And then uh, Aitman was only there for uh, 30, uh, as opposed to 40 for those guys. So a, a little bit of a lower share, but um, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably, you know, Aitman at that low price tag interests me. Butler interests me. Uh, Shepard interests me. I don't know if I'm going to be, I guess Prol still was out there. Um, he's been kind of up and up and down a little bit, but uh, maybe I'll have some interest in Prol. I don't think I'm getting to Stephen Mitchell, Gary Jennings, these any of these other guys. Uh, but those four are all pretty interesting. Yeah, I think all those like ancillary guys are are kind of cooked now that Aitman's back in the lineup. But yeah, yeah. 69% route share for for Aitman last week. Uh, tied for the team lead with a 19% target share. I mean, only two games under his belt since returning from injury, and you know, dang near to a, a dang or pretty dang close to a uh, a full time role last week. So at 4,300, I mean, he's got the talent. I think he's got pretty good TD equity in this offense too. I mean, bigger body guy. They earlier in the year they threw him some end zone fades and stuff. Um, I, I think Aitman plus McCarron is probably going to be my highest own stack or at least up there for me. Um, yeah, Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on this St. Louis passing attack? Yeah, Aitman's the favorite for sure. I think um, it's it, it is tough with him back because really all four of those guys, the main guys that we you guys mentioned, are viable. Um, Butler is my least favorite because of price, uh, but yeah, it's probably Aitman and Shepard are top two for me, and then Prol is okay. Uh, probably I'd probably put him in the same tier as Butler just for different reasons, but nobody's going to play Prol, and he could. He, we saw him early in the season be a pretty heavy end zone target for them. So there's a chance he could fall into a touchdown, but that's really what you need from a guy like him. Cause he doesn't get much like in terms of air yards. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. It's these expensive wide receivers. And I mean, we've got another one on the, on the other side of this game in Jacor Pearson, like these really expensive wide receivers haven't quite delivered like the ceiling games that we've seen from a lot of these cheaper guys throughout the season. And I think the field is sort of souring on, you know, guys like Hakeem Butler, Jacor Pearson, even Deontay Burnett, um, because, yeah, you can just use that salary um, to get a little more projection elsewhere. Um, I do think Hakeem Butler might be sub 20 percent owned, which makes me you know, kind of like him a bit, given that, you know, he, he really does look like a beast on the field. Um, at the same time, though, I mean, 11,000, like it's going to take a lot for him to pay off that salary. Probably going to need 20 plus DraftKings points there. So that makes it a little tricky. Um yeah, Neil, do you have any like ownership takes here? How popular is Aitman going to be? Um, is Butler going to be a little under-owned? Yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think this is going to be a super high-owned team, which the more I think about it, the more I'm talking myself into it, especially just in this game environment where I think this game could go completely off. I'm yeah. more and more, as, as I think about it more, like I started with like, yeah, Marcel Aitman just looks great at the price tag. I think this is a spot where like, you know, we, we said we, we set a rule for San Antonio, don't play more than two receivers from this team. Uh Definitely not setting that rule for St. Louis. I think that these are yeah. all going to be relatively low owned, and this game could go completely off. And so, so I actually like uh, McCarron quite a bit, and I like all four of those receivers: Butler, Shepard, Prol, Aitman. Like I, I agree with you that there's there's flaws with Prol, but uh, you know if they're going to keep giving him some red zone work and he's not getting any ownership, it doesn't hurt that his dad is one of the coaches, right? That's uh, yeah. maybe, maybe there's force. Maybe it's uh, they, they, they require him to throw it to <laughs> yeah, him in the end zone. It's but, the youth football narrative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I I like all four of those guys quite a bit. I'm still probably not playing like three of them in a lineup without McCarron in it, but uh, yeah. I do have a lot of interest because I agree with you, Akeem Butler. Because of the price tag, he's going to go under owned, and this is a spot where. 
wouldn't be that shocking to see him go for 102. You know, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, you could put up a huge game here. So I like I like all these guys uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, this is a game that we expect to be a shootout, and it has the advantage of being the last game of the slate. So if you load up on this game, you give yourself a ton of late swap optionality heading into heading into Sunday, which I think is really nice. Um, running back here, you know, Brian Hill, 10,400, pretty much identically priced to Abram Smith. This is going to be a pretty big decision point, I think, for a lot of people. If you're paying up at running back, who do you go between Hill and Smith? Um, I really like Brian Hill this week. So rewatching the game last week, um, for one, I mean, Hill snap share was 80%, which jumps to 90%. If you only include snaps with a running back on the field, he had 90% of backfield weighted opportunity, which was the second highest mark by any running back this season. The only guy who beat him was Abram Smith. The week Raquel Armstead was out where he got every single backfield touch. Um, and Brian Hill, um, had he not gotten banged up, like right before the first half, two minute warning, I think he would have gotten every single running back touch because they brought in Mateo Duran. And I think threw him like a quick pass. Um, for the first play of the two minute warning in the first half, that should have been Brian Hill. He, he, he looked shaken up um, in these big games. I mean, the coaching staff has spoken so highly of Hill is like, look, he's the heart and soul of our team. Like he's the guy we want to ride. He's been really efficient. Um, and in these big games, they only seem to ride him harder. Um, Neil, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, what are your thoughts on Brian Hill this week? Yeah, if I had to guess, I'm going to end up overweight to the field on Brian Hill. Like, I, I think the price tag is going to keep his ownership in check. And I think, again, I think that just like at running back, I'm kind of going more for safety, like wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking for a little bit more like go for the low owned guys, contrarian guys who I think have a shot at two touchdowns. Uh, you don't I don't look for that quite as much in running back. And I think Brian Hill is probably the safest running back on the board, maybe outside. I mean, Jaquez Patrick because of the price tag. Uh, but I, yeah, Brian Hill looks fantastic. He has uh, looking at you guys projections. I see that he is uh, up there near the top of the board as well. We, that's where we have him as well. Of course, I, anybody who does projections yeah. well is going to have him near the top of the board, of course, but uh, the price tag is up there enough that it's going to keep ownership in check. And if ownership is going to be in check, I'm probably just going to play more of him because he's involved in the running game, the passing game. Uh, yeah. L love Brian Hill this week. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, you know, people still probably want to get some shares of Abram Smith and um, that should keep, yeah, Brian Hill, hopefully around like 25%. I imagine I end up overweight. Uh, Chris, do you have a, you have a take here? No, yeah. Brian Hill is awesome. I think there's a good chance uh, that I have a St. Louis guy in almost every one of my lineups. There's yeah. just, none of them are going to be super, like Hill will be the most popular one. And I still don't think it'll get crazy because of price and because people want to play different parts of the passing game. I, th I think somebody from this team is having a good game. If not more than one guy, I think you could play Hill and stacks with McCarron. I, yeah, I would be mixing and matches all parts of this offense. Yeah. St. Louis side looks pretty great. Um, and then, yeah, for showdown people, uh, Kareem Walker, I suppose is, is in play with Mateo Duran expected to be out. Um, moving on to the Seattle side of things. I mean, Ben DiNucci, you know, high pass rate. He runs a good amount. He's expensive, and I don't think he'll be particularly popular this week, probably around, you know, 15%, maybe the third highest owned quarterback on the boards, something around there, maybe second. Um, yeah, uh, Chris, I'll throw it over to you. What are your thoughts on DiNucci? Um, you think you're going to be able to get there this week? 12,200, pretty, pretty dang expensive. Yeah, I'll definitely have some exposure. I mean, he's just one of the QBs that can break the slate any week. Yeah. I, I don't think you want to fully fade him. I, I'll have to play around with building lineups a little bit more to know how restrictive that $12,000 salary is. But I think you can make it work. Um, like Jawan Green is going to be popular. Or I don't know how popular, though, but 
just because of Danucci's price, but like he's 6,100. You can pair with Danucci. Pearson is probably, man, he just doesn't have the the role that he had earlier in the season and very little red zone work on top of that. It's going to be hard for him to pay off that his price tag. Uh, Juwan Green, Blake Jackson are definitely my favorites. I think Jordan Vesey you can throw into as a red zone guy. Um, Josh Gordon, probably still too expensive for me. Um, and then Damian Willis is also fine to throw in, I think as well. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree with Chris's takes there. Josh Gordon seems to have come back into favor with the coaches. He had a 34% route share in week seven in week eight, 73%. So much improved. And he's also once again, listed as a starter on the depth chart. So not exactly sure like what happened to cause him to fall fall out of favor there. I think maybe he just ran the wrong route or, or gave up on a route too early a few too many times, but he does appear to be a, a starter again. So I, I think he's certainly a viable play. And I I really don't think he's going to catch any ownership. I mean, Gordon will probably be one or 2% owned as people would, you know, obviously rather play Blake Jackson, even Pearson, Jawan Green should be pretty popular. Um, Neil, how are you going to handle this? Seattle passing attack and uh, do you like Ben DiNucci? Yeah, I do like Ben DiNucci quite a bit as well. Again, one of the better game environments, maybe the best game environment on the entire slate. I've been a, a big believer in Blake Jackson. I think he's one of the most consistent wide receivers out there just in terms of opportunity. And he's just, he's got, seems to be fairly talented. So yeah, I, I love that take on Blake Jackson. Uh, Going to be one of my favorite wide receiver plays this week. And he's, you know, 9,000. It's not like he's super cheap or anything, but I think the price is good enough there. I also like to see Josh Gordon, uh, you know, getting, getting back into the fold and probably not getting a ton of ownership. He's maybe he will still get some just because he's Josh Gordon. He's got the name recognition. Um, but again, this is a spot where it's a little bit tough just because they're all so expensive. Obviously Joan green down at 6,100, I guess you're, you're saving some, some salary there, but, uh, all of Jacor Pearson, Josh Gordon, Blake Jackson, fairly expensive. So hard to play more than one of them in a lineup with Danucci. Um, but, Man, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I could double stack Danucci. Like, could could you make an okay lineup with Danucci here that is double stack? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. G- given the price tags on <laughs> Danucci and those high end receivers, I guess if you if you do include uh, Jawan Green in the stack, maybe you can. But uh, but individually, I, I like all of these receivers uh, well enough. Even Jacor Pearson, I think, is you know b- because of the price tag, he's probably going to go a little bit under owned. He's probably going to go a little bit low owned. Um, and obviously there's a reason for that is because it's hard to make a lineup that you like throughout if you're playing him, uh, but still some interest there, but yeah, I would probably rank it Blake Jackson. Uh, my pretty clear number one there after Blake Jackson, maybe it's Jawan green at 6,100 and then uh, probably Josh Gordon before Jacor Pearson, just because of the the price tag there. But I think all four of these are our players that I'm going to be mixing into my lineups too. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, almost every week I've been double stacking Danucci and now the salaries are getting to the point where it, it's, you know, it's getting close to being, you know, pretty restrictive. I, I think one interesting like ownership note is that Jacor Pearson will probably be most popular as a one off. I mean, you stack him and Danucci, that's half your salary right there. Um, so I don't think that's going to be a very popular combo. Um, so maybe some juice there for tournaments. I'm with Chris, though. I mean, his role hasn't been nearly as good as volume isn't super consistent. But I mean, like we know he's really, really good. Um, in the open field, I mean, he could he could easily break off some some long plays, some some potential long touchdowns there. Um, yeah, I, I think if you are double stacking Danucci, you you basically have to force in one of Jawan Green, Jordan VC, or Damian Willis. It's I mean, it's almost impossible to make a decently projected team using like Danucci, Pearson, and Jackson or something like that. I mean, you just have nothing left. Um, 
running back here, I think is, is really interesting. So Philip Lindsay, we saw last week, he wasn't in, I mean, only a 35% snap share, but that's because they just didn't trust him on these, these pass protection sets that Darius Bradwell in there for pass protection, but Lindsay handled almost all of the backfield carries. And I believe got a few targets too for red zone carries. Um, and now he's listed as the starter over Bradwell on the depth chart. That was not true prior to week eight. Um, the problem, though, is that kind of similar to the Orlando backfield, this Seattle backfield just really isn't productive. Um, the second least valuable backfield in the XFL by weighted opportunity. So even if you project Lindsay for 70, 75 percent of the backfield work, which I think is pretty reasonable this week, he's not going to project as a value. He's also almost the same exact price as to Quez Patrick, who we, you know, we talked about as a as a total stud and a guy who's going to be super popular um, personally. I really like Lindsay as a pivot off of Patrick in lineups where you don't want to eat that ownership. Um, Chris, I'm curious, what's your take here on this Seattle backfield? Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it. I think he's a pretty nice pivot off Patrick. If you're not playing him, uh, he's, I mean, nobody's really going to play him because of that. Uh, I, and there's enough red zone. I mean, yeah, like you said, what, four or five red zone carries last week. Yeah. That's, that's enough. I and mean, if we think there's points scored in this game, it's hard to, I mean, if he isn't scoring one of the touchdowns, then that means Danucci has an absolutely massive game if this yeah. total is correct. Um, so, yeah, I think he's worth working into some teams. Uh, do you think you can play him either in Danucci lineups or in McCarran lineups? Or if you're playing Lindsay, are you playing the game as if it's, if it's uh, you know, not as high scoring? So I'm not playing him in Danucci lineups. I mean, we really haven't. Danucci's pretty willing to use his legs. So we haven't seen like a ton of running back targets from him. And I mean, um, who is it? TJ Hammonds is going to work in um, yep. and steal some of those, those backfield routes and, you know, might steal a, a target or two. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't think the correlation is there with Danucci. I, I, I definitely play him in, on McCarran team. So I, I don't have any problem with that, Neil. I'm curious on your thoughts. Yeah, I won't set any kind of rule. Like I'm not going to include Philip Lindsay in uh McCarran stacks I or sorry in Danucci stacks I don't think I'm setting a rule that I can't play them together in some lineups necessarily because I, I do like uh Philip Lindsay quite a bit as you said as a as a play just individually I do think that he's going to be a little bit low owned because he hasn't really done it yet but they're probably working him in like he's probably he's clearly a lot better than Darius Bradwell I think he's, yeah. he's the most talented running back on this team uh pretty clearly so Hard not to have some interest in, you know, the, the number one guy and, and a former, you know, NFL guy, long, long career in the NFL. Like maybe they decide, OK, we haven't really been running all that much, but maybe we try a little bit more now that we have this NFL running back on our roster. It's, there's at least some potential that they change up the, the game script a little bit. So at 7,500, I think this is still a price tag that I'd want to be targeting uh, Philip Lindsay in this matchup. So I do like him quite a bit. I think that he's actually one of the, uh, you know, one of the higher end running backs who is going to make it into my player pool. When I'm talking about like, I'm mostly playing high end running backs. He's going to be included in that list. Um, it, maybe it would be, I'm, I'm trying to decide if it, if I should set a rule, like I, I don't usually set a rule, like don't play this running back with the quarterback. It does seem like it is a little bit thin though. Like it would be tough, tough ask for both uh, Danucci and Philip Lindsay to get there, especially because Philip Lindsay, not historically a great pass catcher, Danucci, not typically passing it to his running back. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's debatable. I think, I think that's a good idea to set that role, particularly if you're not playing 150 lineups, I should probably think about it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if I'll do a total, you know, exclude Lindsay from Danucci lineups, but I'll do a big doc on, on Lindsay yeah. in, in Danucci lineups. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. The other thing too here is that St. Louis is allowing the most rushing yards per game and the highest rushing yards per carry. 
um, in the XFL. So this is actually a really strong rushing matchup for Lindsay. And like Neil kind of touched on earlier, we've seen uh, Seattle go a little more run heavy when Morgan Ellison was, was really cranky and looking good. Seattle did go more run heavy and they especially went more run heavy in the red zone, which I think is a pretty crucial note. So Lindsay, I think has really good TD equity and because Jaquez Patrick is the same price and is just an objectively better play. Um, I think Lindsay's going to be like 10, definitely not more than 15% owned. Um, I really like him in tournaments. I think, I think I'll be overweight there. Um, yeah. Any final, any final thoughts on this backfield? Yeah, no, I'm with you. All right. Um, well, I think that pretty much wraps up everything for discussing the main slate, but assuming, uh, Neil still has some time, we did have some, some questions prepared. Um, just sort of about his process and, and all that. I'll, I'll start things off here. So Neil, I noted in the intro that you have a history of huge DFS wins, many at six figures or even higher. So I'm wondering, why are you still playing XFL DFS now that the prize pools have shrunk so much? What about the league or the XFL DFS grind is keeping you around? Yeah, for the love of the game, of course. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, a, a combo of things like, as you noted, I had a, a big 2020 season in XFL. So I think uh, I, I wanted to hold on to what I thought was my title as the uh, the leader in the clubhouse. And then, of course, I learned that Frankie Bourne actually is, uh, has had more success than I have in in those five weeks of uh, 2020 XFL. So trying to, to trying to reclaim that that crown from Frankie Bourne for one thing, of course, it's only gone south. I've, I've lost some of those winnings. Uh, but no, I, I love the like I, I just enjoy the XFL. I enjoy watching watching the games I watch like any chance I have to watch an XFL game I actually do watch it so that's part of it um I also think uh I, theoretically I came in thinking like there's going to be edge playing XFL DFS I think that is the case I think that people oh, yeah. like overcommit to I actually think it's, it's weird in that it's different than NFL uh, in some ways um in, in that I think people overcommit to some of these studs people uh, a lot of the field goes to the same places as opposed to spreading out um, but it's, it's just, a, it's a fun product I enjoy and, and getting to do, you know, any kind of football showdown. I always enjoy that. So a number of reasons, but mostly I just, I like the XFL. That's awesome. Uh, Chris. Uh, yes. Yeah, speaking of the NFL and, and how you approach NFL DFS versus XFL DFS, do you have any major strategy differences such as larger, smaller player pools, uh, being comfortable having a guy that's, you know, like Jaquiz Patrick this week, that's over 40% owned. Uh, does the variance in XFL really change how you're approaching an X you know, football style DFS? Yeah, it is. It is very different. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd rarely play a 50% owned running back in, in NFL. And of course, part of that is the slate size. We only have four right. games per slate, but it's also just like a lot of these teams, like the, the running backs are almost unplayable for some teams. So it's like you have a really limited pool of players you are trying to choose from. Um, and also, yeah, so I, I started to say this, but I think that in general, part of uh, the difference between XFL and NFL is NFL, you get a ton of really casual football fans like that. That's where the big edge is. You get people who are just like, I want to bet on my players, my teams, and they have no idea how to build a DFS lineup and, and how to play the game. I think XFL is sort of the opposite. I think that in general, the XFL field is like almost overly sharp, like more overly reliant on projections and past results. So it's like you don't see a lot of super dumb like people playing, uh, you know, wide receivers who are out of the game as I mean. We've had the the Lance Lenoir where like nobody knew that he wasn't playing, but like in general, people are playing the guys who have done well in the past. So I think that there are more opportunities in XFL to just like pay attention to the news and see like you know where where is the where are things shifting maybe what what is changing and take advantage of the field overly relying on you know projections, which 
you can only do so much with projections. You have to use the, the info that you have. And sometimes you have incomplete info. Uh, so it's not like a, I'm not blaming projection. You know, it's not the fault of people doing projections, but it's a hard task. And sometimes it's just like, well, maybe if the field is going to over assume in this direction, I'm going to assume the opposite happens. You can you can do that a lot more often in the XFL and hope that more of the field does just like jam the projections, which I think is often the case. So I think uh, just like not not entirely jamming the projections like use obviously you still want to use projections. They're always helpful to like as a as your baseline but then you know picking picking spots where you're not relying on the projections uh, i think is very important in xfl yeah we've seen like pretty condensed chalk um across yeah. the board in in the xfl which i think has been a huge edge i mean what was it like three weeks ago hakeem butler was like 55 percent owned yeah. uh, we saw there were weeks where danucci was pushing 50 percent. i mean stuff like that really really creates a lot of opportunity um my final question here is uh how are you handling stacking for the xfl both on the game and team level you know, double stacks, runbacks. How are you thinking through like these kind of decisions? Because I think I, I've gotten into a pretty decent routine with how I'm making my lineups, but you know, it's it's certainly tricky to decide in certain spots. Like, oh, do I want to double stack this quarterback? Should I be using runbacks on the other side? Um, yeah, like what kind of what goes into that for you in, in XFL slates? Yeah, honestly, I might be falling behind on the times a little bit. So, like NFL, I'm I'm a I'm a double stack and a bring back guy for the most part. Like that, that's my default, and then I change, you know, for for certain teams, certain games. I'll change that up for XFL. I've just been doing stack quarterback with one wide receiver or tight end and, and nothing else. No, no run back, no second receiver. And I think so. Part of the reason I've been doing that and I was doing it early on is a lot of the early games were so low scoring that it was like the best quarterback on the slate might still only have one wide receiver who does anything and yeah. the other team might not do anything like but but we have seen some higher scores recently that i'm starting to think well maybe i'm like falling behind a little maybe i need to start thinking about doing some more game stacks so we've seen some like 36 to 37 games and and then you see you know you, you might want the double stack with the bring back and i think that, that was actually a question on your show last week uh somebody yeah. in the audience uh pointed out that in the previous week the like the actual optimal lineup had like five or six players from one game and we might be trending more in that direction where may maybe at this point I'm understacking, but so far I've just been using quarterback with one wide receiver or tight end. How, how have you guys been doing it? Um, I've been pretty similar on the like super pass heavy teams, Houston, Seattle, for the most part, I've, I'm largely double stacking. I think, especially this week, I'm probably going to only single stack Houston because I don't have a ton of confidence. I, ben DiNucci, though, just feels like a guy that's pretty easy to double stack, but I think I'm going to have to take another look at that this week with how expensive those wide receivers are. Um, and I'm almost always using a run back, which I think is probably a mistake, especially on like uh, last week, it killed me with um, who played Arlington last week. Um, I had, I, right? I ended up having like a decent amount of Caleb Vanderash who zeroed and like, like looking back, it was like, there was no reason this guy should have been in my player pool. Like I just shouldn't have been touching any of these Arlington pass catchers. Um, yeah. Chris, how are you typically handling this? Yeah, I think uh, I think Seattle's the only team I've been forcing a double stack for, um, and then I pretty much only force the run back if it's in a high over under game or or high ownership game, like like if a game like the Seattle St. Louis game. Like I just don't see a world where if I play McCarron and um, you know, Darius Shepard, some Seattle guy is not also getting there. Yeah. Um, if it's Ar Arlington or San Antonio, I'm not forcing it. Um, I've, I've, it's, I've been pretty game specific in how I'm handling stacking so far. Yeah, I also think, I mean, like the prices of these wide receivers plays a big role. Like I had mm -hmm. a lot of double stacks with Dormady a few weeks ago because his all his receiving options were just like so cheap. It was just like, oh, I'll just do Latimer and then one of, you know, Rogers or, you know, Mr. Zero, Lance Lenore. 
Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a, that's a pretty big factor there as well. Um, Neil, I actually did have one final question here. Um, I know that you on high stakes, you talk a lot to, you know, professional DFS players about, um, you know, the shows and stuff that they listen to, um, you know, before they build their lineups. I'm curious though, what do you listen to while you build your lineups? Is it, is it shows? Is it music? Uh, I hate working in silence. So I've always wondered, um, what do you, what do you listen to while you plug away at fantasy cruncher? Well, these days, Jake, it's mostly me listening to myself as I'm as I'm building my lineups because I'm always on live before lock for every oh, sport yeah. lately. Uh, but typically, it, it is listening to shows. So actually, uh, I listen. To, I've listened to you guys while building lineups. Listen to this this show actually while listen, while building XFL lineups in particular. This show, I also listen to you know Matt Kajeski for XFL lineups as well. Um, but then, yeah, if, it, if it's other sports, um, yeah, I, I if I'm not on a show, I am listening to a show. Most of the time when I'm building, I, of course, sometimes I'll build lineups on my phone when I'm out. I'm obviously not listening to any of them, but typically I'm listening to some kind of a show, some kind of a a live before lock show, uh, regardless of the sport. Awesome. Chris, you have anything else for Neil before we get out of here? No, I think we, uh, I think we spent enough time on the week nine XFL slate. Yeah. Yeah. For a four game XFL slate. (laughs) Well, Neil, I mean, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people find your stuff? Yeah. Thank thank you very much for having me on. Having me me on. It was a lot of fun talking XFL, which I don't get to do very often. Uh, people can find my stuff. I'm I'm on Twitter at player Q DFS. And then I'm, uh, all my stuff is on the stochastic or odd shopper YouTube channels. Awesome. That's great. All right, guys, for Neil, for Chris, for myself, for producer Sean behind the glass. Thank you so much for joining us for the week nine Fantasy Points XFL breakdown. And I hope to see all you guys at the top. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite platform and come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.